Okay, so the first six verses of, of chapter 7, Paul explains the relationship, which is that the believer has been freed from the law. And now what he wants to do from verse 7 to verse 12 is address this issue, is if is the law bad? Is it sin? And, and, and kind of address that question. And then, starting in verse 13, 14, he's going to give a personal illustration about what the law has done in his life and why we need to be set free from that. So that's kind of the, the layout of that. So, so after saying that you know this law has stirred up sinful passions and we're not under it and so forth, okay, it, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Am I saying the law is bad? On the contrary. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I would have not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. See, what the law does is it's defining for us what's sinful. It's what we, we now know. This is the standard. This is wrong. So, for example, when the, we introduced the law a couple years ago that says don't talk on your phone and you know put on your makeup and shave your legs while you're driving your car, that was so we know that's wrong. You know, Before that, you could get away with it and say, well, it's, you know, I'm still driving. It's okay. Well, no, this is the standard. This is wrong. So that's what the law is doing. It's defining what's wrong. It's defining what's the what's the standard of God. And so Paul says, I wouldn't have known that coveting was wrong. Now think about it. You shall not covet. What 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 part of the law? If we were to say the law is, you know, the you have the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law, where would you shall not covet fall? It's one of the big ten, right? So he's included that in the, he's, he's using one of the illustrations, one of the laws of the Ten Commandments to show that we need to be set free from the, even the Ten Commandments. So he's saying here, I would have known what, what sin was until the law said, do not covet. Because you can make an argument that, you know, coveting isn't bad. I mean, what's coveting? Yeah, just wanting it. Just, it's all inside, right? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just, I'm literally the word for covet is the same word for lust. I'm lusting on the inside. Whether it be for someone's TV or someone's car or someone's clothes or someone's spouse or, or another person's body or, or whatever. I just, it's all inside. You know, so I haven't taken it. I haven't stolen the car. I'm just thinking about the car. Is that so bad? Well, Paul says, I wouldn't have known it was wrong until the law said, you shall not covet. Okay, so that's wrong. So I shouldn't do that, right? So then I shouldn't covet anymore. So coveting should stop. That would I would think that would be expected. If you know what's wrong and you know what's right, you would do what's right and you would avoid what's wrong. So the law should reduce the number of sins, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. So instead of coveting going down, what happened? It went up. Oh, I want I want Hezekiah's camel, and, and I want this guy's tunic, and I, I wish I had that tent, and I, I wish I had her as a wife, and I wish I had their children, and I wish I had their books, and I wish I had their job, and I wish I looked like that person and that person. And all of a sudden, Paul had every kind of covetous desire. Instead of it going down, it went up. Because what does sin arouse? The sinful passions, the sinful desires. So what happened, sin taking opportunity through the commandment. It wasn't the law per se, it was sin through the law. It was sin using the law 
and it produced in me coveting of every kind. Every kind of covetousness. Why? Because apart from the law, sin's dead. Sin has no power apart from the law. Right? That's the need, that's the reason why we need to be set free from the law. Because if you're still under law, what do you give power to? You give it to sin. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. What does Paul mean when he says, I was once alive apart from the law? What is he referring to there? What time in his life was this here, when he was alive apart from the law? When he was unsaved. Okay? That's, that's typically what I've heard. Um, <clears throat> first off, when he was unsaved, was he apart from the law? No. He, I mean, he brags in Philippians that when he was eight days old, he was circumcised. He's already keeping the law at eight days old. That he was a Pharisee. And Pharisees were trained up under the law from an early age. So there wasn't a time in Paul's life that he wasn't under law. Here's the other thing. Was Paul alive before he was saved? No. Right? Death reigned. He was dead in the spirit. So he had no life. When's the only time that Paul had life? After he was saved. So when he's saying, I was once alive apart from the law, it wasn't before salvation. It wasn't even as a little kid, as some have said. It was after he was saved... And he was alive, but he didn't try to live according to law. All he had was Jesus. Think about the new Christians. I've heard pastors say they want to keep the new Christians away from the old Christians, because the old Christians will spoil the new. Right? Because the new Christians, what do, they, what do they care about? Only one thing. Jesus. They're just so in love with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right? Man, wait till they get... They'll stick around and lay, you wait. You wait and see. They'll, they'll come back down. And, and so when you're first saved, oh, Jesus loves me. I'm so excited about Jesus. Did you know this about Jesus? And he was doing this and I saw that. Oh, you're just so enwrapped with Jesus. And so he's saying, I was alive apart from the law. I had life and I was walking with Jesus. But when the commandment came, you shall not covet. All of a sudden he heard, or maybe he read in the scrolls, thou shalt not covet. And the thought entered his mind, you know what? I'd be a better Christian if I didn't covet. Because you know, really, really coveting is one of those sins that leads to everything else. Right? I mean, why do you murder? It starts with coveting. Why do you commit it? It started with coveting. Why did you steal? Start with covet. So he's, he's really thinking, if I just don't covet, wow, man, maybe I wouldn't sin anymore. So I just got to focus on don't covet, and I would be a better Christian. So when the commandment came, what's it, what happened to sin? It became alive. It's sort of like, I want to make sure that this little match, this little, little candle, doesn't cause a big explosion, so I'm going to throw some gasoline on it. What's going to happen? Make a giant fireball. Well, I brought that little flame into a giant fireball when I added the law. And so sin became alive, and what did sin do? I died. Now, does that mean he lost his salvation? No, because remember Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So the death he's talking about here is the one we talked about last night, where he said, 
How does it feel when you sin? Yeah, his life's ineffective. He's not experiencing Christ. Instead, he's just wait. He's experiencing the wages of sin, which is death, frustration, anxiety, fear, despair, emptiness, loneliness, whatever it is. That's what he began to experience. Verse ten: This commandment, which was to result in life, to prove to result in death in me. <clears throat> we'll explain verse ten, I think, first. But let's look at verse eleven: Sin taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. See, the, verse 10, I think, is the deception. The deception is that if I do the commandment, it's going to result in life. I remember one time sitting in church listening to a pastor and they were, they were going through the Ten Commandments. That was their sermon series. And, and you think about that, you're preaching the Ten Commandments. Does that really belong to the new Christian, to the new covenant Christian? Not really. But that's what they're teaching. And and the summary of it was at the end, he says, what's wrong with the Ten Commandments? And I remember thinking, nothing except it'll kill you. That's all. Because it's not meant for you and I. But you see, the the sin takes the commandment and it's going to use it. And here's the deception. Here's how it deceives us. Here's how it it gets us to go with it. It says, if you do it, you'll be okay. I mean, if you just don't miss appointments, then people will be happy with you. If you don't lie, you won't have problems. If you keep your cool, you'll have your cool and you'll be happy. You won't be frustrated. Right? If If you do well at your job, you'll be paid, you'll still have your job... And you won't have to worry about things. So the, the idea and thinking is, wow, if I just don't do it, then everything will be okay. Don't covet, I won't sin. And if I don't sin, then I'll be happy. And so we turn the commandment, and we, use, we turn to the commandment and trust in the commandment, but that's the deception that sin's giving to us. And so instead of resulting in life, it proves to result in death for me. Why? Because sin, you took that opportunity, used that commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. I think the biggest problem with this whole thing is if you start living according to the law, you're no longer a good testimony. Others won't find Christ through you because... That's a secondary effect. Well, but it's an important one. It's an important one, but more importantly, I don't experience the life of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now just experiencing my flesh. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a problem here with the chronologically. If you go back to verse 9, yep. Like, the commandment came after you, before you were saved, so. Yes. Yeah, the, I mean, uh, <clears throat> think about it this way. Um, when he's saying when the commandment came, that's not implying when Moses showed up, because Moses showed up a good 1500 years before Paul showed up. What he's talking about here is, I was living the Christian life. I was humming along, doing really good, just me and Jesus. And all of a sudden, this commandment shows up. This thinking shows up. You know what? If I just, if I just did well here in this area, the commandment now shows up on the scene. It's always been there, but now it enters into his mind. And what it does is he's, the deception that sin takes the opportunity is to think, you know what? If you do it, you'll be okay. The peppermint pad, yeah. And it's interesting. I see this in marriages a lot. 
where you have one person who seems to be really successful at keeping all the rules. So if we made that list of, of the things they need to do, they're nines and tens across the board. And they're married to somebody who's ones and twos across the board. And so what ends up happening in the relationship, suppose the husband's the nines and, nines and tens guy. And he really wants to help his wife. She, he thinks, you, you just got to get more organized. So here's how you can be more organized. And he gives her a list of rules for her to be more organized. And then when she doesn't do it, he's so helpful in pointing out that she didn't do that. Isn't that helpful, girls? When, you, when, when your spouse says, you failed here. Just helping out. Isn't that exciting? That's how you learn, exactly. You understand, right? That's why Ellie's not here today. And so, you know, they point out the faults, they point out the mistakes, and they're thinking they're helping. They're thinking, wow, if they just do what I ask them to do, that's going to result in life. More like me. <laughs> but what's happening to that other person? They're suffocating. They're dying under that person. And the, the, the guy who's nine, he doesn't understand it. I can do it, why can't you? But instead of actually helping that person up, they're pushing them further and further down. Because all they're hearing is, I'm failing. I'm not good enough. I'm not measuring up. They're just hearing that criticism. And so they have this idea, but it's just, it's killing the other person. Now, we can do this in the New Covenant, in, in understanding the exchange life. I know because I did it. I've turned into I've turned such wonderful things. And you can turn anything into law, but I've turned wonderful things about the grace life into law. Thou shalt walk after the Spirit. Thou shalt set their mind on things above. Thou shalt let Jesus live His life in me. And what I do is I put that pressure on me to say, if I'm not doing these things, uh oh, now there's something wrong. Now there's something in me that isn't measuring up. And the reality is, if you're in Christ, but you don't walk after the Spirit a whole lot, what are you still? You're still in Christ. And you're still righteous and loved. And the reality is, the more I begin to know I'm loved, guess what ends up happening? The more I'm going to want to go and trust Jesus. Because the opposite begins to happen. So what's, what's going to happen is sin's going to try to take anything you have out there and turn it into law. Because if it keeps you under law, it's got you under its thumb. Does that make sense? So the deception there is really just <clears throat> trying to get us to find life somewhere other than God, somewhere in our performance. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Nothing wrong with the law. Again, going back to 1 Timothy, if one uses it lawfully. It needs, we need to use it for the unbeliever. Because what it's doing for the unbeliever is it's giving them a context of why they need a Savior. And of how much God loves them. That they are such a sinner, they are that rotten fruit, they are no good, and yet God still died for them. Yet God still loves, for them, loves them. And so what the law is doing is showing the mess they were in in order to contrast that with the love that God has for them. And I don't think we do that enough. We just want to jump to the God loves you part. Because we're worried that you're going to feel guilty. Well, guilt is good if, if it's appropriate, if it's true guilt. And so the law is holy, the commandment's holy and righteous and good. 
Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? Is the law what caused my death? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. What he's saying here is that that in order for sin to be shown to be what it is, God used the the law which is good and holy, and and sin used the or sorry sin used the, the law which is good and holy, and use it in such a way that it became an instrument of death. And in doing so, it magnifies how horrible sin really is. It's it's sort of like this. Um, uh, at home, Viarda has one of those mirrors that you know you can kind of flip it. It's for putting on makeup or, or tweezing and that sort of thing. And you know you look at one side of the mirror and it's just a regular mirror, and then you flip it over, and then what do you discover? You can see the behind your pupil, right? I mean, it's just this magnification sort of thing, right? Suddenly these pores look like craters, and and you're you're you just there's intense magnification. Well, that's essentially what's happening with the law. It's, it's putting this intense magnification on us to all of a sudden see, wow, I don't look so good, right? Or maybe you you got all kinds of grease and all kinds of dirt on your face and wow, that just doesn't look healthy at all. And that's what, that's what God's using the law for, to magnify, to increase sin. That's why the law is added, right? To increase the transgression, to make it bigger, to make it more obvious. Because then when I see it, I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I had that mess. And now I'm going to do something about it. Right? So you imagine, you have a little bit of dirt, you don't notice it, and then all of a sudden you see this magnification, and it looks like this giant mountain on your face now. Now it's time to clean it. Right? Think about it. Would you, to clean it, take the mirror and start rubbing the mirror on your face to clean your face? <laughs> it's kind of silly, Right? In the same way, to use the law to clean your face is ridiculous. It's not the law's point. It's not the law's purpose. The mirror's purpose is to expose the problem. The law's purpose is to expose the problem. Who is it that does the cleaning? Who's your Savior? Jesus is. So what all law is doing is it's magnifying sin so we see it is bringing it up to the surface. Because the reality is, you and I, we can talk ourselves out of anything. We can justify all kinds of things. It's not that bad. It's okay that I was upset over here, or I did this, or I did that. It's not that big of a deal. Well, no. It is a big deal. And what what the law does is it magnifies sin that I begin to see exactly how bad it is. Make sense? Are you following the flow and the logic so far?